welcome to Themis Podcasts. Themis is a risk management firm specialising in financial crime. Our aim of these podcasts is to bring you interesting news, interviews and recordings of our exclusive events from the world of financial crime. Farewell to London grad. With concerns over imminent invasion of Ukraine, the UK government is considering sanctions and asset freezes on the wealthy Russian oligarchs who frequent London. In this podcast, Henry Williams and Francesca Lewis discuss whether this approach will work and examine how so much dubious wealth made Britain's capital its natural home. On the 1st of February, the Foreign Secretary Liz Truss announced that the UK government would consider placing sanctions on Russian oligarchs with substantial assets in the UK due to the ongoing crisis in Ukraine. These sanctions would be targeted against wealthy businessmen who are accused of having close ties with Vladimir Putin's government. Today, we're interviewing Henry Williams, the head of investigations, about how this Russian wealth ended up in London and what the UK government needs to be doing about it. Hi, Francesca. Thanks very much for interviewing me today. I guess we'll jump straight in. Um, Do we know how long it's been going on for? How did this all begin? So, yeah, so the problem of um, Russian money in the UK is um, it's been around at least since the 1990s when um, you had the collapse of communism. And what happened was in that vacuum, a number of uh, people stepped in to take over Russia's state's assets. Mm -hmm. And in that situation, what you found was actually that it became incredibly lucrative and attracted quite a lot of criminal gangs. Um, So famously, there's one refinery in Siberia called Krasnoyarsk, uh, which was the main aluminium smelter in Russia. And you had something called the Aluminium Wars, where various mafia groups uh, went on a rampage, um, killing all the various people who were trying to take over the business. Uh, And then the oligarchs who came out of it at the end uh, were suddenly multi-billionaires with all these Russian state assets at their disposal. Um, And the same thing happened in the oil industry. You had rigged privatizations um, where to ensure Boris Yeltsin got re-elected against the communists. Uh, They threw everything at Russian businessmen to help support him. And um, in return, they got very lucrative state assets at knockdown prices um, and again became multi-billionaires. And I think Russia is a really interesting country because we see it in so many different ways. But the way I often look at it is it's almost a bit like Saudi Arabia. It's got huge natural resource wealth um, and this is getting concentrated in the hands of very few people um, who then obviously make a fortune, uh, but don't necessarily want to spend it in Russia. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's where the second half of the equation comes in, is where do you want to spend it? And so that's when, um, you know, they buy villas in Saint-Tropez, they buy super yachts, uh, they buy private jets, um, real estate in New York. Uh, And also one of the huge investments they've gone for um, is real estate in London. Um, So that also then, I guess, brings us on to the second question. Um, Why why do all these these businessmen in a a far off country all want to turn up in in the UK? Um, And again, there's there's, there's some really interesting reasons behind that. Um, Sometimes there'll be be exiles. So you had... um, Boris Berezovsky was a very interesting case. Um, He um, essentially was a power broker during the Yeltsin years. And when Vladimir Putin first came into power at the um, end of the 20th century, 
uh, and was very popular uh, with his mandate to clean up the oligarchs. Uh, people like uh, Boris um, did a runner to the UK, uh, which was safe because there's no chance of them being extradited back to Russia to answer for their many, many crimes in that country. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, we see we see the with quite a lot of Russian oligarchs over here is that the UK was their classic insurance policy. Um, if the regime which had um, sustained their wealth would at some point turn against them, uh, they were safe in a, in a nice situation here where um, Putin and a long arm of Russian law wouldn't be able to go after them, uh, whether it was deserved or not. And this obviously started attracting a lot of comments and you had um, a very good book um, came out quite soon after Roman Abramovich brought Chelsea Football Club, which was probably, that was in 2003. And that's probably when you had that first consciousness in the UK of of these Russian oligarchs um, essentially turning up here and buying up everything and splashing the cash. And as a Chelsea fan, it was very exciting. Um, Abramovich came in with hundreds of millions of pounds, bought every player going. And Chelsea went from a sort of team, you know, pushing for Champions League to top of the league within a few years. Um, so, you know, it hasn't all been bad. Um, but anyway, so you, you've had this, um, this this Russian money coming in, you've had it sort of attracting comment. But with it is, I think, the really interesting thing is it comes from illicit origins a lot of the time. It comes from rigged auctions. It comes from mafia battles. Mm-hmm. There's um, these people who are so super wealthy. Um, it's very difficult to argue that the income is entirely legitimate. Yeah. Um, and so with that, um, corrupt wealth has become corrupt influence in the UK and UK institutions. Um, and that could be banks turning a blind eye to the source of this individual's wealth, um, or it could be real estate brokers um, who are attracted by the sky high prices they're looking to offer. Um, and this, this is something which we see very much in London is, is the, um, the sort of penetration of a real estate market uh, by, by Russian oligarchs. And um, I guess this comes back to that point of keeping your assets safe from Vladimir Putin. Um, over the last 20 years, UK house prices have have skyrocketed, um, you know, creating a huge social problem in the UK in itself when there's a whole generation locked out of property ownership. Um, there's loads of reasons for that. It's certainly not just because Russian oligarchs are buying up Mayfair, um, but it is a contributory factor. And... Um, what, what's happened is you've got these assets which are permanently going up. And if you've got a lot of money to burn, it makes a huge amount of sense to buy up as much of these assets as you can. And your investment keeps on going up and up. Um, so you have, you have these big estates owned by oligarchs, but also you have a very classic one, which is One Hyde Park in Knightsbridge, mm-hmm. uh, which was developed by the Candy Brothers, which was really marketed at a lot of this, um, these, these wealthy people coming from the sort of former Soviet Union countries. And almost what you have there is you have various boxes where you try to pile as much loot as you can possibly in one place. So when you're getting these things with sort of gold taps and, you know, beautiful works of arts or not so beautiful works of art, but expensive works of art on the wall, um, the whole idea is to how much money can you safely put in one little box, watch it all go up in rent uh, and in value and not have to worry about um, any of that getting seized. Um, And so this is what Liz Truss is coming in today and doing, is saying, well, actually, you know, the the UK has for a very long time turned a blind eye to all of this. Um, I think the most classic one was one actually pointed out um, 
on the kleptocracy tool, which was something done by a, a group of Russian opposition activists based in the UK, when they took people on a guided bus tour around the around London of all the oligarchs' houses. And the standout one was one pointed out by Oliver Bulle, who wrote Moneyland, um, which is the house belonging to Dmitry Fertash. He's actually a Ukrainian oligarch um, who have um, apparent close ties to the Putin regime. Mm-hmm. And um, he owns a former tube station, which was owned by the Ministry of Defence. And the Ministry of Defence actually sold us to Dmitry Fertash. Um, so I think that's an example of just how complicit the UK government has been in this whole process of accepting money from slightly questionable sources. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that's a very long answer to your question, but um, you could go on and on and on. It's, it's very frightfully interesting. It's absolutely fascinating. Um, I wish we had more time. <laughs> okay, but so obviously speaking about so much wealth, you know, what to what extent do you think it's likely that these money flows are playing a role in the current issues we're seeing in the region? Yeah, so it's, I'd say it's argue it's less about the money flows having a role in the destabilizing of, um, of Ukraine. Um, you know, I think probably there's bigger issues there. Certainly, I think when people talk about the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, um, which would allow Russia to export gas bypassing Ukraine. Um, so Europe wouldn't have to worry about what happens in Ukraine. It wouldn't interrupt its gas supply. Um, you know, that, I think that's, that's one of the major concerns, certainly, I think you're hearing about from the Ukrainian side. Uh, but I'd say where this finance is really interesting is I mentioned that Putin came in with a mandate to clean up the oligarchs mm-hmm. and did did a pretty good job of doing that. Uh, but, you know, like sort of like Animal Farm, eventually, you know, the pigs became the farmers. And um, that that's um, that's that's what's happened here is uh, Putin's close associates. And almost from day one, uh, there's another very good book um, Catherine Belton wrote called Putin's People. Uh, where she talks about this process. So, you know, you have Igor Sechin, who's been Putin's number two throughout their careers together, uh, is now the chairman of Rosneft, which is um, Russia's state oil company. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see you see this happening more and more, close associates of Putin in positions of significant power and significant financial control of, of, state en- of what was previously state-owned entities. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these... I'll probably get it wrong because my Russian isn't great, but these people are known as the Siloviki, um, which is kind of a sort of KGB term for one's entourage. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is Putin's entourage, who are typically either his former associates when he was um, working in a mayor's office in St. Petersburg, or also, interestingly, from his time in the KGB, um, which, um, you know, and certainly he was based in East, East Germany, and was dealing with a lot of KGB individuals whose role was in trade. So they made very natural entrepreneurs after the fall of communism. Um, and I think that's who they're really going after with the UK when it's doing these sanctions. Because um, ideally what they want to happen is these close associates of Putin to suddenly start getting worried about what's going to happen to all their wealth if they can't suddenly spend it in Europe and in the UK and if all their assets are going to get seized. Um, because it's not also just about the houses. There's there's an element of reputation laundering as well. They want their children to go to UK universities and UK public schools. Um, you know, the education system has been hugely complicit in not asking any questions of where this money comes from. Um, and if they lose that access to, to those areas, then that's going to be potentially damaging to them. 
Uh, but also, I think this brings us real back to the uh, financial sector. Um, you have you have law firms representing a lot of very questionable oligarchs. Um, you have PR firms doing a lot of a lot of you know questionable work for them, and you know very strange industries coming up. So you, you have sort of people selling various forms of citizenship. I've I've sat in meetings where an Antiguan passport's been put up uh, to offer someone because you know it's it's a very easy way to get into the United States, and Antigua didn't have very much money, so was happily selling them willy nilly. Um, in the UK, we, we've been pretty bad. We've offered something called golden visas, uh, which you, you you pay a certain amount of money and you get UK business citizenship. Um, so it's it's a it's a pretty pretty poor poor show all round. Um, and so I think these um, these sanctions could um, hopefully at least give Putin pause, which is the main idea here, is to get all his associates around him to um, essentially ask ask him to pull back because it's going to be so damaging to them all personally. Uh, and I think this is what people call, talk about when they call Russia's government a kleptocracy. So, you know, kleptos and stealing, kleptomania. Um, they, they're saying essentially that it's a, it's a government of thieves. Um, and if you, if you can take the thieves' cash away from them, uh, that might have a bearing on the head of that government. Uh, I don't necessarily buy that entirely. Um, I, 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 think, I think, you know, the act, activist side over here in the UK um, sometimes lays it on a bit thick. Mm-hmm. Uh, but certainly, you know, I, I think the, the general um, consensus that the UK service industry has been working for people with very questionable wealth needs to be addressed. And if this is the spur which does it, that's great news. Yeah, definitely. You make some great points there. So I guess our final question, obviously, with everything that's going on, um, how do you think the current events in Ukraine might impact the Russian money coming through to the UK in the future? Do you think that it might increase? Do you think it will decrease flows? Where do you think it will go? Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, um, it's a really fascinating question because um, this is this is geopolitics in the real sense of the word. Um, and, you know, I think we almost need to think about what, what's at stake here. Russia is one of the world, I think, is the world's biggest gas producer. Mm. Um, we have governments trying to meet their net zero obligations, which they can't currently do with all the renewable energy at their disposal. So gas is with us for a long time as the fossil fuel which is the most carbon carbon efficient Um, and Russia is the major exporter of that has a huge role to play in that and governments worldwide are very aware of this Mm -hmm. so I think that's probably why Putin's taken the view that this this is the time to make the push on Ukraine uh, whether he wants to conquer it or potentially make it a demilitarized zone either way it's going to be against the wishes of Ukrainian people so um, you know it's it's absolutely right that we're pushing back against this Mm -hmm. Um, but I think in terms of what it's going to do with Russian money flows, I think Russia Russia's very integrated into, into the world financial system. Um, and if if we if we can cut off the head, if we can cut off the dodgy money from oligarchs mm-hmm. while still maintaining the trade flows, which is so important with Russian, you know, the ordinary Russian uh, consumer and business person who has nothing to do with this behavior, mm-hmm. then I, I think that that's fantastic. And I think, you know, hopefully we'll be able to have a more grown-up conversation about Russia where you know, it's not just treated as bogeyman, which, you know, currently I think I think it is. But then Putin does a great job of being a bogeyman, which um, helps reinforce that um, stereotype. An interesting view there. OK, well, thanks very much, Henry. It's been really interesting uh, for our Themis podcast. And if you'd like to hear any more of our content discussing contemporary financial crime issues, head over to our website at crime.financial. Thanks, everyone. 
Thanks very much, Francesca. Bye. Thank you for listening to the latest Themis podcast. We hope you found it interesting and informative. If you would like to find out more about Themis, get in touch with us via our website, www.crime.financial. You can also subscribe for future news and interviews.